0: On February 10th. More info and tickets at BethesdaTheater.com. WPFW is a proud media partner with Bethesda Theater.
1: Welcome to The Collision.
0: The Collision, where sports and politics smash, Thursdays at 10 a.m. and on iTunes and Google Play. WPFW,
2: Washington, D.C.
3: D.C. This is Joni Eisenberg. It is Monday, January 29, 2024. And good morning, Chuck. Joni. Glad to see you and hear you. Uh, yeah. We have an exciting show. I'm very excited about today's show. We are spending the hour with none other but than Tom Porter Tom, who many of us consider to be the godfather of WPFW and much, much more. Uh, we, our main theme for the day is going to be what is to be done, and Tom's going to explain that in a moment. But of course, Tom has a, a, a very rich background coming out of Cincinnati, and I'm going to ask him a few questions when we, when we start in a moment about what influenced him and in his life to become who he is? Uh, but he uh, has been, of course, an activist. I know he worked with Jesse Jackson's campaign in the 1980s uh, back then uh, when Jesse was running for president. Uh, he also uh, worked w- at, uh, he taught at Antioch's Graduate School of Education, director of Antioch's School of Education. And he I, something I didn't know, that he is the former executive director of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center in Atlanta. So we're going to be uh, speaking with Tom directly in a moment, but before we do that, we are going to play Tom a uh, snippet of Tom Porter's uh, intro song, as we used to hear him way back when. WPFW listeners such as me remember when Tom would start out his program uh many for many years with that song. I believe it was in the nineties. But with that said, welcome Tom Porter. Good morning, good morning. Glad to be here. <laughs> We're glad to have you here. And of course we're going to be spending much of the hour talking about what is to be done in this uh I'd say frightening world of ours when we're facing many wars and one horrific war of course in in Gaza uh we're facing a I would also say a frightening election coming up in this country. And I've heard that half of the world is going to be having elections this year in 2024. And I can think of no other better person to talk about what is to be done than Tom Porter. But before we get into that, Tom, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe growing up in Cincinnati, and, and maybe what inspired you or motivated you to uh, be on the front lines of uh, what we feel is a revolution.
4: I was (laughs) was born in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and I grew up in Cincinnati. There were six of us, two of us were born in Alabama. The other four were born in Cincinnati. Uh, And when I grew up in in Cincinnati, I grew up in a neighborhood called the West End, which was a large black neighborhood neighborhood but it was a very caring and nurturing uh, neighborhood. As a matter of fact, uh, people who grew up in the West End who were still on the planet, we still celebrate uh, the West End with a dance in Cincinnati once a year. And we even had a mini Cincinnati gathering of the West End and its extensions, a couple of Couple of months ago, at the home of Jeff Banks, probably mm. the greatest influence on me besides the neighborhood that I grew up in was my parents, Laura and David Porter. Um, they was my father grew up on his grandfather's farm, and my mother grew up in the city of of Montgomery. And uh, they were very active. Uh, my mother, especially, in the union. My father was also in the union. They were both very militant and clear about this country and what it meant or did not mean for black people and um, the infrastructure in the West End, having black librarians, uh, black men and women who ran the YMCA and the boys clubs and what have you and somebody was always teaching you something. Uh, The librarian. The the men and women who worked at the Boys Club, and just the feeling of the whole, even though it was a segregated co- uh, community, it was a united community. I mean, Cincinnati has a rich history. One of of education's always had, uh, at least up until the time that I grew up, a great educational system. And many leaders in the South who could send their children to get educated sent them to Cincinnati. And um, it always had a rich cultural uh, community. And lots of musicians came out of Cincinnati from Bootsy Collins, the Isley Brothers, George Russell, Sonny Brown, Frank Foster, um, and the list goes on and on. So it was a very rich community. And I always had rich jobs from the time that I was five years old. I had some kind of hustler job, <laughs> and uh, I worked in the Regal Theater when I was about in the 5th uh, or 6th grade selling ice cream, and on the weekends, they had stage shows, and so all of these black entertainers would be there live, and so not knowing who they were, but finding out later that I heard Paul Huckabuck Williams' band, uh, Coltrane was in that band. I don't know if he was in the band that that I heard. I heard Big Maybell Coltrane was also in her band. And I heard Eddie Cleanhead Vincent as well as the Spence Twins, uh Stephen Fetching and, and what have you. And 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 so it was just such a rich community. And uh I joined the Navy at seventeen. I'm skipping ahead, and when I got out of the Navy, I got a job at the post office working uh at night and going to the University of Cincinnati during the day. And that was that was a great education for me working in the post office because there were so many brilliant black men and women who worked in the post office. They called the post office a graveyard of black ambition. But, you know, it was not so much a put down, but recognition of the fact that blacks uh, who had gone to college and majored in things like science and what have you couldn't get jobs. And so, in the working class community, unlike the petty bourgeois community, which says that a a marriage between a Morehouse man and Spelman woman is a marriage made in heaven. In a working class community, a a post office worker and a social worker and a school teacher was a marriage made in heaven. But I learned so much. I consider the post office uh, the place where I got my undergraduate degree because there was somebody always trying to who are your coat? I mean, I got turned on to the Peking Review by a guy who worked in the post office. Uh, It's such a a rich community. I mean, Paul Rovin started the national, I forget what the full name was in Cincinnati. Uh, It was just such a a rich community, and uh, I'm forever grateful uh, to that community and to my parents and my classmates and the people I grew up with, the people who took the time to pull my coat to teach me something with so many of them. I'm just eternally grateful to the (laughs) West End of Cincinnati and the post office.
3: And we are eternally grateful for all the people who influenced you, Tom Porter. And I know Chuck Hicks, who's going to be talking a little bit later in the program about the exciting event on Saturday, Black History Month kickoff at Westminster Church, where you'll be the keynote speaker talking about the role of art, black artists in the movement. But first, we're going to get in a little deeper to, to the theme, uh, what is to be done. And I know Chuck's ears uh, warmed up when he heard, of course, both of your parents are from Union families. If you could tell us, which what, you, what Union was your mother in and your, your father in?
4: My father was in the cement Mason's. Uh, union. My mother was in Ask me.
3: Okay. Ah. <laughs> My and Chuck, of course, was the was the president of Ask Me here in D.C. And Chuck, your father was in what union?
5: The South uh, this, uh, uh pulp and, and Paper Workers.
3: Okay.
4: Chuck, uh, you probably knew Leonard Ball, Jared Ball's father. Yes, very well. <laughs> Lynn was from Cincinnati, as a matter of fact. Ah. I succeeded. Lynn was a uh, chairman of Cincinnati Corps and I succeeded him as chairman of Cincinnati uh, Core, and I'm actually a godfather to both of Lynn's sons, uh, Jamil, who comes on on Tuesday, and Jared, who uh, is on Black Power Media on YouTube on a regular basis.
5: Absolutely. My family was involved in Core. We were at Core.
4: Well, a lot of people don't know that Core predated uh, SNCC yeah. by years. Yeah. It was started yeah. in Chicago in the 40s.
3: Yes. And let me just add that Brother Jamil can be heard 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, every Tuesday morning, uh, still holding up the spirit of skia who had that sh- show for many decades. Uh, but in a moment, we're going to jump into a very short clip from uh, Dr. King that Tom has, uh, has requested. So, um, but before we do that, Tom, any, do you have any short story you might want to share about your dad or your mom? I seem to remember you're telling me very moving stories about each of them that influenced
4: you. (laughs) So many, so many uh, things that they used to say, you know, my father was a, was a man of a few words Uh, and so whatever he said, uh, I remember telling my father, uh, when I was dean of black studies at Ohio university and how I was having a difficult time getting the faculty, uh, to, to move. And, uh, he would always, he looked at me and that the way he looked at me when he thought that it was something that I should know. And he couldn't understand why I couldn't, didn't know that. And he told me, he said, the Negro was used to white people telling them what to do. And even though they were free of, they were so-called free people, they still were used to white people telling them what to do. And this is the, the kicker, he said. And the young ones, meaning the ones that I was dealing with, Uh, Worse than the old ones because they never knew what happened in the first place.
3: Mm -hmm. And with that said, we're going to jump in. Tom, you want to introduce this little clip. Tom has requested uh, we're going to play as many of the songs as we can get in, but we're going to start out with a clip. Well, this is a
4: clip where Dr. King talks about the relationship between power and love. And and, uh, I wanted people to hear that because oftentimes, even on the, on the air of WPFW, I hear people still engaged in that stupid discussion about Dr. King versus Malcolm. It's a stupid uh, discussion because mm-hmm. Malcolm and, and, and both Malcolm and Dr. King. In fact, Malcolm said that that he has apologized for the things that he said about black leaders, and he hoped that they've forgiven him for what he said. That he and Dr. King understood that they were both important in the struggle. So It's foolish for people to carry on uh, that argument, but they carry it on because it allows them to talk about something and don't do anything.
3: (laughs) So with that said, let's let's give a listen to Dr. King on The Power of Love.
0: What happened uh, is that some of our philosophers got off base. And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites, so that love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. It was this misinterpretation that caused uh, the philosopher Nietzsche, who is the philosopher of the will to power, to reject the Christian concept of love. It was the same misinterpretation which induced Christian theologians to reject Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power in the name of the Christian idea of love. Now we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love.
3: And Tom, um, wh- what are your thoughts you'd like to share about when we think about what is to be done in this, in this uh, horrific world and with many dangers facing us? What are some of your um, thoughts?
4: First of all, the reason why I wanted to play that is, you know, Che Guevara uh, in a statement said that a revolution is an act of love. And what I find very, very interesting uh, is that I've met Yasser Arafat. I've met Fidel Castro. In 1973, I spent an evening discussing politics with the members of PAIGC, Filimo, and MPLA, and the thing that that was was interesting about all of these people, all of these situations, that they saw no contradiction between revolution as an act of love uh, and power. And I think it's very, very important because all too often, Dr. King and Malcolm are, 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 are really frozen in time and frozen at a point in which the militants want to justify whatever it is that they want to run on the people so <laughs> i just wanted to wanted to play that because uh the thing is uh the there's a lot of criticism of what did or did not happen in the movement uh of of the 60s uh when in fact uh we're still living off of the assassinations and the road that dr king and malcolm and others uh, set out on and laid laid the path for us to be on
3: absolutely and your theme today that you selected that we spoke speak about is what is to be done and perhaps i don't know if you want to share some of the h- historical context text for that phrase but uh, definitely well, start to talk about what is to be done. <laughs> the historical context for it is uh, 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 V.I. Lennon,
4: who was some a little bit of a revolutionary. <laughs> uh, he wrote a pamphlet at one time uh, called What is to be Done. And, you know, when you get my age, you have a lot of time to think. And a lot of time to think back on the road that you uh have traveled and are still on and and as i listen to uh, many of the pundits on television and on the radio even this station um, there's a lot of conversation uh is what a good friend of mine robert rhodes Called vindication literature. They did this to us. We did this. We did that. But very little conversation of what we need to do about what has been done to us. What we need to do about the predicament that we're in. What is what time are we living in? And and so, for me, that's what interests me. I mean, it's clear that fascism is not on its way. It's on. It's live and well uh, in this country. A number of European governments have, have elected right-wing white nationalist uh, governments. Argentina has just um, uh, elected one. And at the same time, we, we are living where the West and the institutions of the old world order, including the International Criminal Court, we'll talk about that later. Instruments that were put in place uh, after World War II, not to promote democracy, but to but to protect capitalism, uh, which is the state of Israel uh, exists. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible or the Holy Land of any of that. It has to do with the strategic interests of the West and particularly the United States government to have an armed country. In the midst, to in the midst of the Middle East and in Africa, and we forget that Israel—it's not his first time engaging in apartheid. It was a leading trading partner of the South African government uh, under apartheid. So, um, those are the things that interest me. What is to be done? I mean, we have an election now, and everybody is saying, "Oh my God." Trump might get elected again. So we got to do what we what we did in 2020, 2016. Baldwin talked about it in 1968, the lesser of two evils. Evil is evil. But my question for those people who say, if you don't vote for Biden, then you're voting for Trump. My question for them is, what have you been doing since 2020 until now? The answer to that question is nothing for the most part. I hear people talk about fascism. I used to tell my friends to talk about fascism. Let me know when you have the meeting. So I want to discuss building a united front against fascism. Right. So that's why, I mean, what, what what is
3: time that we're living in and what, what has to be done? Absolutely. And definitely we need more talk about other than those two options. Uh, okay. But are not options at all. Exactly, and uh, we have about I'm going to have to skip some of these songs But let's see Mike, let's go to the, the next song real quick And then we'll come back up with, with Chuck
1: Jobless people babies Spreading
3: That song is still true from Third World, and many of us remember it uh, back in the day. You're listening to Heal DC with me, Joni, and Chuck Hicks. We're spending the hour with none other than Tom Porter, the godfather of WPFW, and much, much more. Uh, we're going to be speaking a little later about his uh, being the keynote speaker at Chuck Hicks's annual event uh, this Saturday, February 3rd at Westminster. Uh, but let's let's uh, continue on with the discussion of the hour, the main discussion, what is to be done. Chuck, did you have a question or, or comment? Yes, I did. Tom,
5: I'd like to kind of go back and, and look at uh, ask what is to be done in the uh, African American community primarily or in the community, when we look at health, when we look at crime, when we look at racism, and jobs and economics, what is to be done in those areas that you think we need to do to get a whole, get, come back to building a community?
4: Well, I mean, first of all, we have to understand that there was never a plan for Africans or Black people beyond slavery, and everything that has happened since then—various amendments and uh, voting rights and what have you—have uh, been. Been done as Dr. King would say, no American president had done any more for the black man than he was made to do. So it was under duress that these various presidents and congresses and what have you uh, 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 have um, have done these things, whatever positive things we should call them that. But the breakdown, uh, since there was never a plan for African Americans and of Black people in this country beyond slavery so that there has been consistent, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, uh, uh, in trying to stop any movement on the part of Black people for freedom, justice, and equality. And to answer your question, the situation that we find ourselves in uh, today in the Black community has a lot to do with the betrayal of the revolution or the movement in the 60s on the part of a new group of petty bourgeois people on the right and the the left uh, who have stood by and allowed things to happen in our community. I mean, I'll give you an example. There's only one school in D.C. that has a marching band. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: And they have to earn their own instruments. They have to earn money to pay, and that's Eastern High School. So uh, when you look at the images and and when you look at, so, so I want to stick on this thing about education. There are all of these reports that kids, that the truancy rate is high. We used to have a definition of education in the movement, which said education should equip you to deal with your environment. If your environment is negative or oppressive, uh, it should equip you to change it. If it doesn't do either of these, then you don't need it. And the schools don't do that. And I've said that if the schools are worth going to, the kids would be going to school. I mean, I've heard more than one teacher say, we don't need to be teaching all this black stuff. Hmm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I mean... And so you have that mentality. And so it is easier for kids to skip school than to go to a school because kids are dumb. They see what's going on around them. You think kids don't see that the neighborhood has changed from black to white? You think kids don't see this? You think kids don't see that this is where my grandmother used to live or my great grandmother? You know? And kids are not dumb, and so we have to continue. To answer your question. We have to continue what we started. We have to continue uh, to resisting oppression and organizing and teaching uh, our kids, our kids, what they should be doing. I mean, we, I hear people talking about the Panthers. I don't see anybody going over in the southeast and the southeast of this country organizing kids because I tell you what, it's very, very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. I remember once in the sixties when kids were fighting each other and we started organizing and uh planning dances for the kids. And we at one one Friday night, we were in a popular drive-in restaurant and it was down in a valley light and we were passing out leafless to the kids about dance that we were going to have and what have you and somebody told me to look up and i looked up and there was a building and there was about 10 cops who had rifles trained on us Mm. So, so it's it's easy it's easy to talk about that it's but that's what needs to be done i mean we talk about critical race theory and the conversation takes place whether or not critical race theory It's going to be taught at white campuses and what have you. I mean, critical race theory needs to be taught in every church, in every neighborhood center, in the black community. Absolutely. We, we, We spent too much time appealing to this society to accept us as equal, as decent people, we, we, we've been trying to convince the devil that hell is worth getting into and we should be trying to get away from hell as fast as we can.
3: And and Tom, let, let me just say that uh, I agree with you. When we look at the District of Columbia and a lot of the resources for young people are being cut, a lot of the resources for combating uh, youth gun violence and gun violence in general, is being cut by this mayor. Uh, the teachers are not getting the support, from what I hear, that they need. So, and it's interesting, this year, I think, is the 45th anniversary of Marion Barry's uh, youth leadership uh, uh Campaign, and uh, we need more support and more dollars. Instead of spending all these billions, uh, killing as many children as we can every minute of the day, we need money here in Washington D.C. to better support the youth, and and have budget items that would train uh, youth and adults to support the youth. Uh, and with that said, again, you're listening to PFW. Tom Porter is our guest for this hour, talking about what is to be done. And uh, he's going to be the guest speaker, as we'll hear about in a moment. But let's hear what a public enemy had to say. Mike. <laughs> number. Another summer. Sound of a your heart. I know you
0: got a soul. <laughs> Hey. Listen if you're missing y'all, swinging while I'm singing, hey. giving what you're getting, uh. knowing what I'm knowing, while the black band's sweating, in the river I'm rolling. Uh. Gotta give us what we want, gotta give us what we need, our freedom of peace is freedom of death, we got to fight the, power, beat. fight the power, fight the power, fight the power, fight the power,
3: And, yes, we've got to fight the power that be, and uh, we definitely need more organizing. And, Tom, any words that you have before we, we begin talking about the what you'll be speaking about on Saturday, but uh, fight the power and how do we organize? I'm finding that although it's it's great to see all these people out in the streets around this war in Gaza, and I'm out in the streets right there with them, but what I notice is that the orga- the organizing... <laughs> is not uh, what it's used to be. So it's sometimes very hard to even find out when these demonstrations are taking place. The the different organizations that are out there often do not communicate with each other. So the basics of organizing that was certainly in effect, for example, in the Montgomery bus boycott, is not even studied today. So what are some of your thoughts about about the need to really focus in on real organizing and not just texting and jumping on the phone on the
4: unfortunate as and it is unfortunate and it is the uh the greatest example of fascism and genocide that i have seen in my lifetime although i lived uh uh, i'm old enough to have lived in the time of fascism in germany and what have you at cincinnati being a german uh German town in many ways there were actually Nazi sympathizers marching in the streets of Cincinnati I can remember that uh mm. as a as as a as a young young kid but and that is because we go from event to event uh we have uh most of the groups are organized around special interests whatever that special interest is you know you got one group that, you know that's dealing with the whole transgender and what have you, and you got another group that's dealing with this and dealing with that. When in fact we're not focused. The great, the greatest issue of our time is climate, climate change,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and and the second greatest, but but perhaps more important importantly, is the rise of right wing nationalism in the world. Uh, in major institutions in the world, including in this country. You are not gonna solve the problem of the climate uh, under these kind of conditions. At the same time, there needs to be a united front. I mean, one of the things about the movement, that was a movement that was made up of a lot of people in different groups. You know, you, you had the Young Lords and you had the Black Panthers. You had, uh, it was a movement, a movement of people. Now there's not a movement. I remember, and I will not mention the name, that I called up a person who's always on 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 TV and on the news and in the Congress, and I said, this was before Trump uh, didn't get elected, the last election. I said, there needs to be a movement to impeach Trump. It won't happen, but you need to build a movement of people of, of of people. Well, she came back and said that the people that she talked to said they were working on their various issues. Now, Trump didn't get elected, although he claimed that he did, but 72 million people voted for him. So even if he didn't exist, even if he was a drop dead tomorrow, you got 72 people, 72 million people, who believe in the madness that he was talking about and is still standing with him in spite of all of the stuff that he says. And he basically says that he thinks the president should have absolute power. And that's fascism. And so until we realize, and this is, you know, I hear some black folks say, well, I don't want to be bothered with white people. Uh, I don't want to be bothered with Latinos. A united front is just that. It's it's just that. And then there's the ideological question. Uh, What is the ideology that's guiding the movement? That gets to be really tricky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to get off on that. But uh, uh, so far, all of the people who I respect, who were leaders, most of them had no problems with socialism or pan-Africanism. So if you have a problem with those two things, chances are you're not going anywhere. Yes. So the sobs clear, it, it whether you're talking about C.L.R. James, Eric Williams, uh, James and Boggs and his wife, Dr. King, Malcolm X and what have you. They don't have a problem with that. So if you have a problem with that, you got a real problem.
3: Yes, and, and uh, going back to the United Front, I mean, these days... Uh, Every issue Tom even has, such as the issue of, of, of the war in Gaza, you might have ten different groups right here in D.C. going out and and demonstrating, but they're not coming together and talking together. The same with gun violence, we have at least a dozen different organizations dealing with gun violence, and they're doing good work, but no, everybody's doing it in their silos, which is making some progress, but not enough. Uh, and not a movement. It's not a movement. They're
4: individual right. groups who have good ideas, uh, but their individual group is more important than uniting with other groups who share the same goals and objectives. Right,
3: or they don't even know how. And I actually, sitting here, I am reminded of my parents who were out there uh, trying to build a united front. And I remember when I was a child, they would take me. Door to door speaking with people, actually sitting down and having conversations with people in the neighborhood about what is to be done, what needed to happen, and I think that that is not happening as not as much uh as it needs to be. uh we're gonna play one more song and then we're gonna talk about what's happening uh on Saturday. I wish we had Tom here for two hours, but we got about fifteen more minutes. So let's hear what the Isley brothers had to say. Remember that song. And when we hear these songs, it does inspire us (laughs) to uh, to fight the power and to uh, really try to make a difference in this world, which is brings us to what's happening on Saturday. And Chuck Hicks every year uh, organizes with the D.C. Black History Celebration Committee a fabulous event every year, uh, which is the uh, Black History Month kickoff event. And luckily, these days, we can have it in person. Uh, So, Chuck, tell us what's happening on Saturday.
5: Well, Joni and Tom, we're excited about our keynote speaker, which is going to be Tom Porter. And the theme this year for Black History Month is Black artists. And I thought about that, and then I thought about, why don't we look at Black artists as activists? And Tom is going to do this wonderful brief uh, piece of Period of talking about Black artists as activists. And, and we look at the music genre, the poetry GENDER, painters, dancers. There's just so much. And this is the beginning of a series that we're going to do on Black artists as activists. Uh, and it's going to be at Westminster Church on Saturday the 3rd. Westminster is at 400 I Street Southwest. And it starts at 11 from 11 to 2. And there will be, uh, entertainment. There will be giveaways. And of course, there will be some awardees. And we we'll have happy to award, uh, twins, Karen and Sharon, Reverend Motley, Nina Rucker, uh, Brenda Sales, Susan Wilkins, and Robert Van a part of people who have been in this community, don't get a lot of Praise for their work, but they're down on their foot soldiers. And every once in a while, it's good to recognize foot soldiers who hold up all that they're trying to do. So we're looking for a a good crowd. We've got lots of responses from people coming. The police join us on Saturday at 11 o'clock at Westminster Church, and it's limited parking, but it's subway accessible.
3: And it is free. It is free. And uh, Chuck talked about giveaways. I know you can uh, get some of those Black Seeds calendars for a little bit of change, which is well worth it. And I just wanted to lift up three people who I heard. Many of these honorees are very much a part of the PFW community. The twins, Sharon and Karen, uh, uh, often are on this show and and other shows. And one thing I, I love that they do each and every year is take a busload of people and this year i think it's going to be youth a busload to harriet tubman's uh place out there on the eastern shore with a lot of discussion of history and then our own nana malaya uh was also being awarded nana (laughs) malaya is very much a part of this radio station i know tom knows her as well she calls in a lot and we're so excited that these three sisters are getting an award in in addition to others uh and again, Tom, would you we have a, we still have about 10 minutes left, so um, if you want to share anything about that, the theme that you are going to be speaking about, the role of black artists in the movement. And of course, we heard some of the songs that we could spend all day playing the songs, but uh, I know you were close to Mary Baraka. And anything you'd like to share with us now?: Well.
4: Uh, the late uh, Amilcar Cabral who uh, successfully led a struggle against the Portuguese and liberated the nation of Guinea-Bissau. Uh, his book, "A Return, Return to the Source, is one of the books that's at the top of my list. and And in talking about culture, he says that culture is a product of history and a determinant of history. And that's an interesting statement because if you study the role of culture in the struggles of Black people in this country, initially the slaves could only discuss uh, whatever they want to discuss under the guise of religion or in music. And so the history of our music and our, and our painting and our writings has been an integral part of our struggle. And so when you look at the movement in its most recent uh, stage and I, I consider the movement in the in in this in the 50s and the 60s as being recent the artists were actively involved in the movement whether they were actors uh, Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, Harry Belafonte, uh Mary Baraka or musicians like Miles Davis, his album, My Funny Valentine, was a benefit for the Congress of Racial Equality. Mm -hmm. Charlie Parker did a fundraiser for Benjamin Davis, a communist councilman in Harlem. And so the list goes on and on. Uh, They were an integral part of the movement. And that's sadly not as strong as it should be today, even a station station. Like WPFW, I like Brother Munda. When he comes <laughs> on, I wanna single him out. Cause he always brings it. You can't talk about uh jazz and justice and then play some stuff that has I mean no relevance at all, other than you just playing it because you like to play it. You're in the wrong place. And and, and, and I'm saying that because this station has a pivotal role to play in the struggle right here in D.C. We were successful at stopping them from passing a death penalty here in D.C. And that was thanks to Tom Porter. Well, he, he thanks got, to all of us. But uh, what I'm simply saying is that that's missing today. Uh, uh, you have people think, all I do, I just play music. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. Well, So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, but mostly we're going to talk about the role of the artists. I mean, right now I'm reading again, Paul Robeson's Here I Stand
3: mm-hmm. in
4: preparation for Saturday.
3: <laughs> Very <Yeah>. good. <laughs> and of course we charge we charge genocide. And, and speaking of genocide and music, next week, Tom, we're going to focus, which is the start of the pledge drive on several artists, Uh, that are part of our community, including Ayanna Gregory, who have just um, created new songs, beautiful songs, uh, in protest to to the uh, genocide taking place in Gaza. So we're going to do that on our show next week.
4: Let me just say this. There are two things, philosophically and ideologically, that we need to pay attention to today. And we saw it with the International Criminal Court. They stopped short of calling it genocide. They stopped short of of calling for a ceasefire. When I was at Ohio University, I was asked to serve on a committee to to, uh, develop a policy, a financial exigency policy. I didn't even know what financial exigency meant. And to my surprise, it actually passed. But what it says is that if the very life of the institution is threatened, nothing matters except saving the institution. That means that faculty contracts, tenure, none of that matters. You hear, and you hear it around what's happening in the Middle East, it's national security interests, trumps everything. Trump's human rights. You can kill 25,000 people if it's in the natural interest. The other thing is the technicality. Technically, it doesn't rise to the level of genocide. Technically, it doesn't rise to the level of fascism. Those are two things that that they're using in today's world, in this country and in the West in particular, to justify the recolonization, the raping of Africa all over again—is that it's in our national interest. So I think that we need to pay attention to that and see how it plays out, and to and to develop strategies to resist that.
3: Absolutely, and to educate people that that is the real reason that this w- slaughter is going on. It's not because anybody cares. Uh, this way or that way about the Jews or this or that or Israel it, it meets the interests the financial interests of the ruling class in this country they want to the, they want to control that region and that's why the war is going on so has outlived its usefulness as a system of of of,
4: of positive production it, uh, it it can no longer serve the needs of of the majority of people in this country, even the MAGA people who follow Trump. If you drive through Pennsylvania, Ohio, (laughs) and all of these states east of D.C., I was telling somebody the other day, one of the problems, not a problem in D.C., but D.C. until recently, you could go everywhere in D.C. and not see anybody white. Chocolate City used to exist. When you you travel outside of D.C., you see counties and counties of poor white people mm-hmm. who are living in miserable conditions in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and Kentucky, what have you. Unfortunately, they would rather listen to somebody like Trump than deal with the real issues that are confronting them.
3: And then, Tom, as you know, that is no accident. This, this The powers work hard to keep everybody divided, confused and, and ignorant. Uh we we're almost out of time. I just wanna uh say that uh one of the things we talk about on this show for the last three decades is health care. And as we know the health care well, I certainly can say the health care system is unfortunately getting worse, but we still have a uh, positive things going on. I wanna give a shout out to our friend and cardiologist, Reggie Robinson, who is letting us know that this Friday is the annual uh district of DMV area red dress event talking about cardiac disease uh, heart disease and what you can do to stop it so it's a red wear red day in in honor of health for your heart which is still the number one killer uh, in this country we're doing very we're not doing enough to educate people about health care and about about uh, heart disease tom are uh, we going to go out in a moment with a song that many of our listeners do remember. Those who are listening to WPFW for many decades remember when Tom came on and he would have the most riveting conversations. Uh, it was every day, wasn't it, Tom, from Morning Conversation?
4: Monday through Friday.
3: Yes, from 10 to 12, uh, started out with you, Massaquila, and in a moment, we're going to hear the song that uh, tom ended with and he would be discussing very difficult topics, heartbreaking to- topics, uh frightening topics, et cetera. but when this ca- song came on it, it put a smile to our faces and we <laughs> we used this this song in many ways uh, even when uh tom left his position at the, or the station but um we're going to listen to that in a moment uh And again, Chuck is encouraging everyone to come out this Saturday for the free event at Westminster Church, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. with our honorees. And uh, Tom is the keynote speaker talking about the role of black artists in the movement. And Tom, you have one minute for your final statement. (laughs) Well, I I would like
4: to uh, just send my condolences out to the families. Of three people who were very instrumental in, in my life. Uh, Kenneth Davis, also known as Damani, who in, who encouraged me uh, and taught me how to jog, he and Dooku. So I got up to three miles a day uh, every every morning thanks to Damani and Dooku. Damani passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, Roderick Calhoun, known as Ross I, when he lived here in D.C., former student body president at Central State in Ohio, uh, he passed away. uh, And I remember taking Mm a memorable trip with he, Abdullah Kalimat, Roberta Sanders Gray, and myself from the German Democratic Republic up through Poland, through Lithuania Mm -hmm. down to Moscow. We had been in Berlin for the World Youth Festival in 1973. And I just learned this morning that my good friend and comrade Antonio Grillo, known as Tony, had passed away. Hmm. So I'd like to send my condolences out to their families. They were tremendous warriors and role models.
3: And thank you, Tom Porter. And let's let's hear, as we close out, what Tom uh, had to share with us each and every weekday on his morning conversations
1: Blue skies
0: Happy days are here again Smiling at me The skies above Are clear again Nothing but blue
1: skies Let us sing a song of cheer again Do I Happy days are here
0: again
2: Bluebirds all together Shout it now Singing a song Let us
1: tell the world about it now Nothing but blue sky. There is no one who can doubt it now From now, happy days are here again. Peace. Brother Jamil here informing you about the D.C. Black History Celebration Committee's annual Black History Month kickoff on Saturday, February 3rd from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. at Westminster. D.C.'s Jazz Church. The keynote speaker is none other than Professor Tom Porter on the role of black artists in the movement for justice and peace. For details, call Chuck Hicks at 202-421-8608. That's 202-421-8608 or email History. At yahoo.com, The event is free and open to the public. Westminster Church is located at 400 I Street Southwest in D.C. Again, the date is Saturday, February 3rd from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time.
5: Scott Heron said the revolution will not be televised, and yet we've seen oppression, suffering, and resistance streamed in real time across this country and around the world, from Palestine to D.C. In times like these, it's imperative to have a station like WPFW that centers justice, reflects hope, and fosters solidarity throughout our music and public affairs programming. From February 4th through the 24th, We offer you the opportunity to partner with us in this critical work of liberation by donating during our Winter Pledge Drive and ensuring that WPFW will be here to chronicle the revolution. WPFW, Revolutionary Radio for Revolutionary Times.
2: WPFW presents Jazz at 100, 2024 A sonic centennial tribute to those artists Turning 100 years old in 2024 And one that will surely become an annual broadcast On February 2nd, from 5 a.m. until midnight We'll celebrate the music of Max Roach Marshall Allen J.J. Johnson Sarah Vaughn Blossom Deary Armando Peraza Lucky Thompson Louis Belson Dinah Washington Bud Powell Paul Desmond, DC Zone Charlie Rouse, adopted DC native son, and my father, Sonny Stitt, and many others. That's Jazz at 100, 2024, February 2nd, 5 a.m. until midnight, right here on WPFW, your station for jazz and justice, building a better world, one broadcast at a time.
1: Best in Live Music Entertainment is coming to Bethesda Theater. Peebo Bryson, the legendary voice of love, for two big shows on Friday, January 26th at 8.30 p.m.
0: and Saturday, January 27th at 8 p.m. Celebrate legend Bob Marley at the annual One Love Birthday Bash featuring popular reggae band I&I Rhythm on Saturday, February 3rd at 8
1: p.m. Celebrate more love at the Quiet Storm Valentine's Celebration featuring live performances of classic love songs on Saturday, February 10th at 8 p.m. Peebo Bryson on January 26th and 27th, Bob Marley, the Birthday Bash on February 3rd, and Quiet Storm Valentine's